0: How you doing, everyone? Thank you for tuning into this episode of Ready to Record from Blue Girl Studios. My name is Daniel, the D3 Cohen. I am your host, and I am speaking to you from Blue Girl Productions' worldwide headquarters and studios here in my garage. I am a 19-year-old aspiring musician, engineer, and producer, and like many of you, I make music in my own home studio. You know, some of today's biggest hitmakers work from home, so maybe we can help one of you guys accomplish your big dreams. In our last episode, I had the great pleasure of talking to Toby Scott, longtime engineer for Bruce Springsteen. We talked about his time with Springsteen, his philosophies on recording, his early career before Springsteen, and what he's doing now with his studio in Montana. You can find that episode and lots of other great music podcasts at our network site, pantheonpodcasts.com. You can also find it at our website, as well as all the other episodes of Ready to Record, bluegirlproductions.net or anywhere you get your podcasts. Today, this one is a real fun one. I have the immense pleasure of talking to Mr. Craig Dreyer. Well, I would understand if you didn't know the name Craig Dreyer right off the bat, it's a name I recommend you remember. Craigie D is one of the crazy talented people in the world and one of the most talented musicians I have personally ever met. On top of that, his talent is matched by his dedication for both his primary and secondary instruments, as well as his production and engineering skills. Now, Craig is a super talented saxophonist and keyboardist, but his engineering production is something kind of to be marveled at. He really loves going back to the ways of old and really does a good job with it. His studio in Brooklyn, Mighty Toad Studios, one that I actually had the pleasure of recording at back in December of 2014, and the product of that you're going to hear on today's music segment is just amazing. He's got some of the coolest vintage gear out there and has spent quite a long time making that space perfect. Everything from an incredible Trident board to Neve and API preamps, a live room full with a vintage Ludwig kit, a pipe organ, a Hammond, a Farfisa back in the day. I don't know if he still has it, but I'm sure he does, knowing him. A Rhodes, a Wurlitzer, a Clav. crazy amounts of vintage amps, two pianos, a Grand and a spinet. Craigie's got it all, and he's really curated his space to be a solid studio for everyone. Though, admittedly, where his space shines really is on the music that I love the most, which is that really classic, visceral-feeling kind of music that all of us know and love. To my mind, if you're a fan of making records like it's 1978, then you should go give a call to Craig Dry. So without further ado, here's our conversation. Mr. Craig Dryer, welcome to the podcast. Happy to be here. Well, I really want to get in. For those who don't know, you have a really cool career. You've had, you know, Sweet Tones, Dreyer Brothers, Electric Jellyfish, and you know, you've had your studio for as long as I can remember. You're you're a sax player and a keyboard player. What got you interested in making this your career?
1: I just like playing and. I certainly didn't like working a regular <laughs> job. That wasn't going to work for me. I had to be free. I had to do what I want to do. You know, right. I also wanted to be an actor, and I did a lot of theater in high school. And I remember Matt Broderick got me an audition for Brighton Beach Memoirs on, um, on Broadway. And uh, I remember really choking and really getting tight at the audition and realizing, like, I never felt that way playing. Like I wouldn't really panic going to play a gig, you know? Right. So I was like, well, I'll stick to music. But I always wanted to play, and we we're always putting on shows. And, like, you know, even as a little kid, you know, it's just, it's just an instinct. It's just a kind of natural thing, you know? But my father did not agree that it was a good idea for, you know, it was always like, when are you going to get a real job kind of scene? Right. Uh, so I had to make my own way. I didn't go to music school or my older brother went, but then after he went and dropped out, that was not going to be something I was being encouraged to do. But I, I just always went and did shows, and we, you know, I saw how other guys did it when we were kids, and we just went. I was like, oh, there was a friend of mine, Orrin Portnoy, who I went to Walden with, and and I, did, he was already when we were about sixteen, he was already playing gigs around New York a lot. We had already played a couple of gigs around, but. Oren was playing a lot of gigs, and uh, I remember playing with his band and stuff, sitting in and watching what he did. And then we just got went and got gigs with the electric jellyfish in the places that he was playing. And we just, if we didn't have a gig or a place to play, we would make one. You know, like we were underage. And so there was only a couple of places we could sneak in and play. There was a place called the Dive that would let us play, even though we were underage. And our fans would come in. We were also under in high school. The drinking age was 18, but we were about 16. But then what we would do is we would rent out a dance studio and get someone older to buy us, uh, <clears throat> to go and get us a couple of kegs. And we would charge $10 or something or $5. I don't know what it was, but a decent cover. Sure. And all the beer you could drink. And then we would set up and play. Gotcha. One of the things I've always had, and uh, I still have, and it's useful, is to have a small PA. <laughs> it's okay. always good to have a small PA system. I've always had one. Mine's sitting behind me. I get it. It's it's really yeah. helpful. Yeah, it's really useful. Then you can have a gig anywhere, you know. Part of my thinking in the last years, too, it's like, I, I haven't done it, but, you know, all these these, the way the club scene is, I mean, it's, you know, it's like, You know it's like you have to almost create a whole new scene people should just start i mean there was a club called one of the places we used to play was called the two Mikes. this was a little later than that we're we're out of high school and college but like we created our own bar to play there was a little bar in the west village called the two mics on hudson street between horatio and jane it's now still there it's called book and bar or something it's a teeny little bar and uh we just went in there and we were, I guess we were drinking or something. And then we were just like, well, why don't we have a gig here? And we'll, we'll bring in a PA and a, and a band and we'll stick somebody at the door and we'll charge. And we'll, I can, gar- I told them, I said like, look, just try it out. I guarantee we will fill your bar on Friday night with kids and um, we'll take the door, but you're going to have way more people in here on a Friday night than you have before. Cause at the time that was far, it seemed far away from everything, right. You know, in the West side, and we had a lot of successful little gigs at this little place. I actually became the bartender there, and a guy got stabbed right in front of me, and that was the end of that. Um, but yeah. uh, that's another story. But we would we would just create our own gigs if we didn't have one. And that was the the reason I bring it up is that was the that was what we did. You know, we just made things our own way. We always, you know, I just wanted to do what I wanted to do, and I didn't want to do it their way i mean ultimately in terms of success i mean i'm i'm not john popper or uh, a blues traveler or somebody i mean he's did a lot a lot of the guys that we were around in the beginning did a lot better than than uh than the dryer brothers did or we never got a record deal of that band or whatever but but i've certainly managed to live my own way all this time i haven't had a job and I, i do exactly what i want to do
0: well, and you've built an impressive career. I mean, I'm looking at your control room. I've, I've been there in a long time, yeah. but, you know, I've, I, I've sat in that studio, and you've you you know you've, you've made one hell of a studio for yourself. And you Yeah, know, it's pretty cool. I got some new stuff since you. When were you here? 14. And actually, 14. you know what? It took me all these years, but you're going to love this. I sent that cover that we did, A Low Spark, to Adam Hirsch. He's going to sing it. I love Adam.
1: Adam did, Adam did my first Craig Dryer and Fiends record. That was on a tiny, on his uncle's uncles or father's. I can't remember now tiny label that they had. It was called Spoon records, but it was connected to, because his father or uncle or somebody's relatives used to do had made records of the Newport jazz festival or something, something like that. Anyway, we made a, we made us that. That was a big. There was an interesting time when when ADATS came out. That was the big change. That's why you see small studios like this. It started because before that it was twenty-four track machines, which I have one, obviously. Yeah. But but uh, but before that, the, any studio with of any kind of quality, you know, the real studios had twenty-four track machines, which were very expensive. I forget how much they were at the time, but they were like forty grand or something of, in those days. Money. So to have a studio was a really big. And everything was really expensive. The, the So it was like, you have to have a lot of money to have a real recording studio. And studio time is expensive. I remember looking for studio time in the 80s that was, and it was like $100, or $125 an hour. I right. mean, studio time in a small studio is half that now. You right. know what I mean? Um, and, but then eight ADATs came along and you could sync three eight ADATs together and have 24 tracks I mean, now we laugh at the quality and blah, 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 but it was a revolution at the time. Then you could have a small studio owned by somebody without a huge um, uh, budget or, or investors or whatever. So a guy like me, just a dude with some bread, a little bit of bread, could build a small studio in a small space, and that was big. So we started being able to make records, you know, in in, in a way that was... Um, inaccessible to people before. It was the beginning of the whole... Now, of course, we have Pro Tools and all that, but eight ADATs were the uh, thing we... Because I'm pretty sure we made that first Fiends record on ADATs. And in fact, you know, where did we cut the basics at, uh, at a Jingle House, at Crushing onto ADATs? Anyway, Adam f- finished it and put it out, and, and uh, I just talked to him for the first time in years. He's doing great.
0: He is, man. He uh he was uh, for those who don't know, Adam Hurst, Tree Adams, he uh guest on the podcast, I think it was episode five. He's he's done some crazy things. He's he's and he's working I mean, his big deal right now is NCIS New Orleans. It's a you know, he's he's doing great shit. Um yeah. well, but man He's a great man. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. When I was talking to him uh what, about a month ago we were talking about that record and he he just gushed over that record man that's such a great record
1: and there's some moments <laughs> well you know we're, we're talking about making a new fiends record really uh, starting soon yeah really but, you know everyone's trying to get me to put the last one on, on spot all of them on spotify but i never do it every time i'm about to do it spotify does some has some other horrible policy that makes me so sick to my stomach that i don't do it.
0: <laughs> you know but, uh, i i had to i i had to because that's what's expected of me as as the 19 year old but you know if i if well, i didn't it's expected have to of everybody
1: including me but you know i i i just can't help myself i just some little part of me rebels uh just feels uh i can't seem to do it uh, i i'm the kind of person who you know i'm a lefty and i and i uh you know i make noise i also think people you know i've i've made on i made non-friends by you know telling people not to play at rockwood for no cover you know and uh because i found that place is an insult to all of us why why go see a band across town for a cover at the 55 bar why go see us the 55 bar when you can see a great band playing at rockwood for free right for tips it was one thing at the little first place but when they built the second place with a piano that winches across the fucking ceiling and then says that they can't have a guarantee for the bands and then says we're going to pass the tip cut but they don't make a big deal out of it and no nobody nobody makes a culture of passing the tip cut tip bucket it's just a way of giving the music away for free and uh you know i i disagree with that and i think we shouldn't do it and uh you know we used to play little bar gigs and billy Your father will tell you, you know, bands like Dreamspeak, we used to play little bars and charge $5 covers, which people would balk at now, $5 or $7. We used to, Nightingale was $5 we used to play, you know, and we would get four out of it, I think, you know? I mean, it's like, you can't, you have to educate people to pay a cover for local bands. You know, if you start all playing for free in these places, then no one wants to pay a cover and you can't get paid at all, anything. Right, it's giving it away. It's called being a scab and other things. It doesn't make me popular when I point this out, but me, being a musician nowadays is, is very much part of class war. If you, I know it's probably another unpopular position, but it's true. The, oh, the, yeah, you yeah. see that people can you have to be able to afford to play music to be able to practice and have the time to be good, someone's got to pay for it. All the schools. Kids are coming out of these schools. They're very wealthy. They come out of new, new school and they're great and they're amazing players. I mean, I have them in the studio all the time. Young guys, burning jazz guys, read great, play great. But they—they're generally speaking wealthy kids.
0: I met a girl buying uh, buying my PA gear. I actually met her through her parents, like because I bought the I bought some used PA speakers off of them. They called they they called me up one day and were like, "Hey, you you're a you're." you know studio people, you have a studio, right? And I went, yeah, yeah, I do. I went, well, our daughter's coming home and you know, she's looking for an assistant position because the, the the school told her to get an assistant position. Could you help out? You know, like the, these people are going to, to these big colleges. They're going to these things without any knowledge of how to get into the industry.
1: I mean, they're kids. I mean, people are young. I mean, you're not, you just don't so, I don't know. I mean, I don't think they're bad. I'm just saying, I, I don't think. I mean, in what industry? But, 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 I mean, I think that it's great that they go play music. I think it's great that people want to play music and go to Berkeley. My brother went. My older brother went. Um, I think Berkeley's awesome, and I think the new school is awesome. And and I think these guys have come out playing great. The, my point is more that uh, they, did, you know, when you can afford. It's nobody's fighting to make money in the same way that we used to, because because they don't even expect to make any money, right? And they're supported by, you know. But that's that's only some. There's obviously there's just mil- there's always amazing, incredible musicians and great artists of all types. I just think it's very difficult. It's just become much harder to be sort of this middle class of music. You you're either very successful or you can't make a dime. And that's a shame because there's some really talented people who I think in forms of music that will start to lose, you know, because the, the computer music is much cheaper to make, you know. And the right. I mean, basically I'm becoming sort of like a, a blacksmith, you know, I'm sort of preserving a a way of making records and sound that I like. I mean, I just do what I like. I don't do this intentionally. I'm not trying to be an archivist or a, or a, or a preserver or a museum or anything. I just do the music that I like and the way I like to do it, because I don't like, I mean, I, I can run Pro Tools as fast as anybody you've seen. I just like all the analog gear. That's the stuff I thought was cool when I was a kid, and I just got the stuff that I like. And But, it, you know, it's very difficult to <laughs> make any bread. Doing it, it's getting harder and harder. Right, you know, But uh, I still, I managed to survive. I'm managing to survive through the pandemic too. Um, you know, and people still, there's still like a loyal clientele that still likes to do the music the way I like to do it, which is as few screens as possible. Even when we do use Pro Tools, I sort of approach it in a more as a tape machine unless you know, I don't like, you know, I, I tend to try to get people to fix problems by playing them through, not splicing. Like I don't, my first reaction isn't like take what, you know, what the joke is, right? Like uh, what did the pro tools engineer say to the musician? Oh, that, that sucked. Come on in. Right. Right. Because what they do is, is you just do a million takes and then, then cut it together, you chop it and fix it and edit it and tune it in the booth. Well, you know, with tape, you can't do that. You know, you can, you can punch, you know, you can do multiple takes and do a comp, you know, and there's there were ways of fixing time, and that's you know there's and tuning. There's ways that guys did it in analog. That's a whole another discussion, I guess. But but I just try not to do that. I try to get people to play through, play a whole solo. Let's get a whole solo beginning to end, one take that was great. You know, before we start chopping, going into chop. Now if we can't get it or speed or whatever, then we start chopping. We use the editing and whatever. Or it's all great, but the last note was just a little out of tune. You know, well I'll tune it. You know, but um I just try to keep the approach of analog and that so that the, so that it's a, music is still an unconscious process, a, a process that comes, not unconscious, that rather it comes, the inspiration comes from the unconscious. It's inspired. Right. Uh, from that place, from some deep inner place or God place or spiritual place, whatever you want to call it, as opposed to the rational mind of thinking, looking at a screen and editing after it's taken place. Right. Right. Because that's. Editing, you're censoring. You're saying, "Hmm, now after the fact, I think this part is no good, or that part is no good." You know, and what we should do is this, and this is this rational mind. Uh, so I try to keep it much as playing out there as possible, um to keep that is the thrust of the music, and that's be what's important. And have the musicians be what's important, not the engineer and the producer. I still love making shit on tape. That's my favorite. If I'm producing a record, that's that's what I that's what I want to do. You know?
0: How long did did you have the studio before you had a tape machine in there?
1: Was it right well, away, or I did had, you take I'd some time? I first built a studio, and I had a couple of houses uh, in upstate New York. I I bought like a like a country house in upstate New York, and started doing stuff in the basement. I was working with this guy named Pete Francis from this band called Dispatch, and uh, we made a record together with this guy Rob Furbony who um, taught me how to make records. Rob, you can look Rob up. Rob's uh, famously recently, Keith Richards' book called him a genius, but a pain in the arse, he's, but he's a genius. He's a great engineer and producer. He did uh, the late, a bunch of the later band records. I knew him immediately. I met him at, a, at the Village Gate. We are playing at the Village Gate, in I think about 1990 and uh, this guy comes backstage after we played, and he goes, "Hi, my name's Rob Verboni." And I'm like, "Rob Verboni, the guy who did Planet Waves, which is that Dylan band record. you know that record?"
0: Yeah, not well, but yes, I I, I
1: did. It's a record with Forever Young on it, and uh, that's Rob's sound and whole concept. Is you know, you could see there, and and uh, I always loved that record. It's my favorite Dylan band record. I think it sounds the best. I always thought that record sounded so good and um, felt so good. And um, anyway, Rob and I have been friends since then. He had all the basement tapes before, you know, all the other basement tapes that nobody had heard. And I remember him like, we would listen to the band in the basement tapes and we bonded, we could friends. And anyway, later we made a Pete. I started playing this guy Pete and we wanted to make a record and we made a record and I had Rob come in. I just had Rob come for the, wanted to have Rob come for the first day. And then he ended up loving the record. and um, so we worked on this whole record together called Francis Dreyer. That's on Spotify you can listen to. It. It's a really cool, weird, mellow sounding, really cool record. Um, and uh, and we just got, to, me and Pete got so excited about making this record and we had so much fun doing it that we wanted to just make a studio so we could just keep doing it. So we didn't have to stop. Right. And uh, so I had this house, this country house, and we set up, built the basement into a studio and that's how it started. So I didn't have a tape machine right away. We had Pro Tools. But the record we had made was on tape, and, and and then Pete left. What happened? What happened to me was Pete left the record player in the basement one day, and I plugged it into the board, straight into the board. And I, I happened to have bought in the Junior Walker record called Moody Junior on um, at a yard sale, and I put it on, and tears sprung to my eyes. It wasn't a sad song, but immediately it was just so clear because we had made this other record that and i hadn't had a record player for a long time i've been listening to cds at that point it was not uh i don't know what year it was 2001 and um I just was like, oh, it's analog, it's that it's analog, you know, and that feeling of analog, it just hit me in my heart so powerfully, you know, and I was like, that's what I've been missing in all these, you know, and that's why we love that record. So it took a little while. Then I bought a second house and I built a garage into a studio and I bought, um, well, we, Pete got a, it was a long story, but we had a Stevens A21B. Do you know what that is?
0: Yes. And actually you've told me this story. John Stevens lived at your house for two weeks, fixing the oh, right, so-called right. perfectly good machine, right?
1: Right. Yeah. Well, we had a whole fiasco with John. It turned out John was basically starving to death. So you had no money and he bought this machine sight unseen and it didn't arrive. And we had all this drama getting it, but it finally did arrive. And uh, it was had pieces of Keith Richards machine and pieces of Roy Thomas Baker's power supply. Like he finally Frankenstein the machine together, which my machine originally was for um, the Grateful Dead. It had Jerry Garcia written inside of it. Wow. So I don't know. Maybe it was originally designed for, it was originally the Dead's machine. It came back to John, or I don't know, but it was said it was for Jerry Garcia or Jerry Garcia's personal machine. Um, So, uh, yeah, we had that machine, but we could, it never could stay running. that, That machine was the best sounding machine. That thing was incredible sounding. You couldn't make it distort. Um it, re, it it rewinded and fast forwards incredibly fast. But I didn't even have a I didn't even have a um he didn't give it to us with a locate. So I just I, I just learned how to I, after a while I, I became so good at it that I could just rewind to a spot in the song just by feel. You know, I uh I uh anyway, so we had that, and then that couldn't finally then Pete. And I, you know, we decided to not work together on the studio together and go our own ways. And then he, um, but I think he, he gave me the sh- machine part of the deal for some records I made or whatever. And then I sold it and then I got uh, a Studer, the Studer that I have now, which is an A27, which I've had for, um, you know, about 13 or 14 years now. Right.
0: Now, as far as 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 far as the iteration of this studio mighty toad how how long have you had this spot that you' I've in been now? here
1: twelve years. This spot was originally built by this guy Nunzio Signore hmm. guitar player. He built this spot, and I came in with him. he was he was thinking about maybe even getting out. He built it a few years before that maybe fifteen years ago, and um he was looking to get out, and I came in as a partner and and i you know I said, well, I had a lot more gear than he had. He had some stuff, but he had lots of great amps and he had the board and, um, but I had way more mics and all the keyboards and all this stuff. So, so he let me come in and renovate it and he hung around for a few more years, but then he finally, uh, left and, uh, then it was all mine for about eight or nine years now. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's great. It's obviously this year it's really hard, but, uh, right. But uh, you know, I still sort of stick to my guns and do the things I w- the way I really want to do them, which I've always done. Uh maybe I don't live a, a extremely huge rock star life, but I live a rock star, a small but legit rock star existence.
0: Well, hey I man do exactly
1: what I want to do, make records and play gigs. Hey, isn't that what all of us wanna do, right? Yeah, it's great. It's been it's been really great. I mean it, I'm very grateful to be able to, to do it and keep it going and, uh, grateful that people still come in and get it. And cause I get converts, people come in and make records on tape and then they, you know, they, uh, become converts, you know, I, um, they, and then they only want to make records on tape after that, you know, cause they become their eyes open to the sound and their hearts open to the feeling of, of it. And there's no feeling like it of, of cutting a record on, um, on, on tape and all analog, and no computer screen on. you know one of the problems with the computer one of the problems with the computer screen is is that even when they figure out one day, hopefully some genius kid will come and, you know, I believe in the future of, of people, and someone will figure out some way to convert stuff that doesn't feel digital anymore. and and we don't have to use tape machines anymore because uh, the tape machines are you know they're a pain and they're hard and hard to fix and they're expensive, and they're blah blah, blah. I mean, I wish digital worked better. One of the problems is, and then that company radar did a smart thing to address it. I always thought about buying a radar system. I've never actually done it, but I like the idea and I've seen it. Is uh is you know the problem is you're always looking at a screen and visual information trumps to use a horrible word for today, trumps um uh oral information. So like when the screen is on the TV is I tried I mind if you notice, my my Pro Tools is not. In, uh, in front of the console you see no it's actually off to the side because i try not to get so when people come in after after a take i want them to stand over the board and listen to the speakers in that direction but it's incredible they all turn this way and look at the fucking screen and um i i, I sometimes i turn the screen off there was actually uh there used to be a little there used to be a plug-in that you could do. And I, 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 I lost it from an old version. Or but uh, it used, used to click on it and would make the whole screen say, listen. <laughs> I used to click on that sometimes. Now I just, sometimes I just turn off the screen. Now, or I'll say, do you go, do you, when we listen to tape, do you call, go in and stare at the VU meters of the tape machine when we're listening to playback? No, you don't. But somehow with Pro Tools, because it looks like a TV, that there's so much visual information on the screen, people look at that instead of listen. So I I try to you discourage that you know but that's one of the problems of Pro Tools people listen with their eyes you know right. they look at things they look at edits you know I'd be like here I'm doing an edit don't look at the screen because I so then you know because you'll it, it causes problems uh, that I try to you know the best I can um, you know minimize so I put it to the side I always wanted to get you remember how Spock in the old Star Treks used to have the computer and this little thing like that yep. I thought that would be really cool. Like, like, you know, the pro tools was just for one guy, you have one guy operating the pro tools. Nobody else can see it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That would be really cool, you know, but I mean, you know, that's just how it is nowadays. You have to accept it. And, And pro tools is awesome. I mean, I love it. I mean, I actually think it's brilliant. I mean, you know, so, I mean, it's incredible. I mean, but at the same time, you know, there's something about, there's sometimes these magic things that happen in there. When we do records on, when we do records on, um, on tape, it's amazing how fast the days go by. You know, it's more laughing and, and the days seem to go by faster. And, um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, there's an interesting experience in the, in the, in the heart. And so I just do what I've always done, which is do the things I like to do and try to make, you know, a business out of it. And I've had some, yeah, like you said, I mean, I had some, you know, I've had some, some cool, really cool moments, getting my head up in the big time there a little bit here and there. Um, There's a cool thing that was going on. Uh, anyway, whatever. I, I, you know, get to play sometimes with uh, some really, you know, amazing, famous, awesome, great musicians. And, and we have some, some really talented and incredible people that I think one day will be stars uh, and our upcoming stars coming in here too, you know, uh, playing. And if they're not, they're just playing amazing music. I mean, we have like, just yesterday we had Queen Esther in here. She's a really awesome singer. Um, my friend, David Bayless, just, uh, uh, called me about making new a record. He, his last record came out on Ropadope. It was like this cool guitar fusion stuff. They're really good. Actually. I love their keyboard player. Their synth guy too is great. And the drummer's excellent and Dave's obviously great and um we had like we did a record with another guitar fusion guy who's really good um Chris Buono and we had Oz Noy was in here too so they're like dudes with like I mean they've like eight thousand dollar guitar amps you know and like right you know these are guys who goes on on YouTube and do like pedal demonstrations you know mm-hmm. they have like hundred I mean literally the whole piano is covered with pedals but really amazing new guitar sounds i mean revolutionary guitar sounds you know um and great really great uh, my old high school friend tobias ralph is on germs and that um there's a guy named awkward who's really a great singer and i think he's a total star He's he's with he's with that band lake street dive Mm-hmm. Now he's the newest member of Lake Street Dive. And we have a record halfway done here. We finished one song for him earlier in the year that we have to put out. That's, I think, one of the best things we did here. That's analog. Though there are a couple of digital things because we did, because it was during the pandemic. So it's an analog recording, but I synced the Pro Tools up to it. There was a, like a couple of horns came in and the strings were actually done digitally remote. So it's a hybrid. It was tracked in the vocals and, and my stuff, the sax parts. We're all done analog and I sent SMPTE to the tape and it chases, and Pro Tools chases the tape. So there's a few things that are digital on it, but because we couldn't have the choice because of the pandemic. Uh, That's a really great song. Uh, It's called Woke Up in America, and it's about um, uh, the black experience in America. And and, um, uh, it's really powerful, really good song. We gotta put that out, I gotta call Aki we were going to make a video then we didn't like the video and it didn't come out and we're going to talk to him he's got a whole record in the can he's brilliant I mean, he's a brilliant singer um we did some f- disco tracks for this japanese producer named cho that came out really great all analog too. this guy J- japanese young japanese guy came in and liked the idea of making an analog record but didn't know how to do it because he you know just knows how to chop things and, um, in uh, logic, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Right. So we got Ben Stivers, who's an incredible keyboard player. He, you know, has been with the Bee Gees, Matchbox 20, among a million others. Sure. Um, and uh, he's great. And, and he sort of sat down with Joe and worked on the chords. And then I worked with the lyrics with him and we showed him how to make a song in the old. I mean, it's amazing. These guys are, he's a talented DJ and producer, but really no idea of how to make, how a song works, how to write a song how you have to plan a song, write charts and say, well, this, the chords go here at this measure. And it's written right. out. <laughs> they, don't even, they don't even know how to do that. There's no concept, you know, great musical ear, but no idea of how to play in a band, you know, mm-hmm. write a song, you know, because they make music on the computer, but uh, that's doing well, that's out. And, and, you know, and that gets played all over and, and it's like great real horns, you know, like Jay Collins, my f- old friend's great saxophone player and, the guy played at my wedding, you know. He's my, I'm a saxophone player and I had Jay come and play, you know, because um, he's the best. And uh, I had him write the uh, arrangements and the horns sound great. And, you know, we do horns the right way too here one mic, four horns around one mic. Shit. Shit sounds you know, great. And then it's another part of the whole philosophy. It's too, it's like when you've played four horns all at once and one mic and get great horn players you naturally blend you listen back if the trumpet is too loud he's playing too loud or he's got to turn away or point away from the mic or play less quiet play quiet a little more quietly or back and off get a, yeah get back off play quietly aim away whatever you find a solution right. and then you get a blend instantly an intonation blend and uh, and, a, and a volume blend great players will instinctively and faster mix themselves better than you can after the fact uh way better right and cooler and also get a spirit to the section maybe it's not perfect like you tuned each individual horn part and made it perfect but um you'll get more you get more emotion to it you know you get more of a character to it and the best the, sometimes it's hard and it, it's sometimes you fail this way and you can't always make everything perfect and it, usually you need more time than you have. And because my projects don't usually have the money in the budget to spend three days doing the horns. We'll have a few hours. You right. know what I mean? Right. And to get it, got to get it, got to get it quick. And so you have to get the best people you can afford and, um, and try to get it done. But when you get it right, it, it, it gets you in here, you know, and that's all that matters to me. It's just trying to get it the best I can and, and make it, in as much as beauty as we can with what we're what we got right
0: i'm i'm curious since we're bringing up you know horns one mic and and we're talking about recording on analog do you find musicians hold themselves more accountable when they're recording a track or a record on tape
1: well, I, that's not the word I use, but I know what you mean. Um, my, again, my friend Ben, who I just mentioned before, he actually put it really well one day. Ben Stivers, the keyboard player. He was like, he, he remarked to me one day after a session, he was like, that we did on tape. He was like, all of a sudden you have a renewed sense of the importance of what you're doing. Oh, everything is more important because you can't, you're not going to do 18 tracks of it and piece it together afterwards. Right. So while you're, it's going down, you got to get it right now. This is it. There's no going to be, there isn't going to be any later. And if you fuck up, it's going to be on the record or off, or you won't make the record. So there's a level of importance and the people who are better musicians, essentially, rise to the occasion. It's amazing. And you watch them and they get excited about it because all of a sudden what you do is important where sometimes you do a session and I've ex- as a sideman, because, you know, mo- half of my life in the last 10 years has been doing this, but most of the time I've been a saxophone player and a side man right and like you'll go in and you'll do a session and they you know you might have nailed it in the first or second take and then just make you play take after take and then you just know what's going to happen to your shit you know that your solo is just going to be chopped up into a million fucking pieces into something that you would have never played they'll they they don't even acknowledge your breaths they'll be like you'll you'll hear the track back and it'll be like there'll be a thing that you played you never could have physically even played that Mm -hmm. because there was no room for a breath they'll chop lines together you know and you just start to get like you know, this is what, this is the feeling you get. You're just like, oh, behind the glass, like, oh, here we go. It's a chop job, you know, and I'm just going to play a bunch of shit, throw a bunch of shit and the Pro Tools kit is going to fucking chop it up into a million pieces and God knows what it's going to be. You know, you don't even want to listen to it because you know, it's not what you, anything to do with what you played or what you intended. And um so analog is cool like that, you know, because, you know, but that, that's not saying that that happens all the time. There's great, Pro Tools engineers who get it and don't chop your shit into a nightmare. But I had experience with a recent record, check this out. I played, I thought a very good track to a record which remained nameless and I, they sent me a mix and I lined my shit up to zero, to theirs at zero and sent back the thing. Well, the record was to a click and the guy engineer got my track, literally put my saxophone on the wrong beat. It was like two beats off but it was in time and didn't know that it was off. They sent me the record to to play to like mime to it in the studio for the video mm-hmm. and I started listening to it and the sax was literally not two beats off. <laughs> the whole track. Oh man. So you know these kinds of things bring you down, you know what I mean? And but when you're on tape, you know that's not they can't they're not going to fly your tra- tracking in the wrong place
0: right, right. Know, They can't. and they gotta can. get
1: a good solo sometimes it's hard, sometimes you don't make it sometimes you fuck up but, but uh, most of the time people I think really respond to it well and I think the better people or not better people, put it this way people who are, can play live in that situation, so take the better out of it um, but good people really and really good musicians rise and learn and, and, and sense the importance of the moment And not, and it's done in the moment from the unconscious without your conscious mind censoring yourself. You know, you just have to play and fast and be immediate. And then, you know, and I think that's why people still like jazz, people like jam bands. They like improvisational music because they sense that, right? Mm -hmm. They sense the, people like to go see a jam band because they're, they're jamming, they're doing stuff in the moment spontaneously. And you're watching it unfold before your eyes from the unconscious at the moment, and interacting with the crowd, which is interact, which is influencing that process. And so people still love that, and you know, an analog recording and the methods I'm describing are really the, what the importance of it is not the machines and the technique, because that's all it's still all machines and whatever, but it's the idea to get keep as much of that sense to it and make something that's really quality and good, you know? Right that sounds really good, that you really want to listen to over and over, you know? I mean, and obviously if someone makes a mistake, we want it to, but it's great to be able to fix it. You have a great track, but one little mistake, you know? I mean, Frank Sinatra thought multi tracks were for wimps. I like to use a nicer word than he used. because I think he uses this word. But the thing is, it's like, I mean, most time, if you could, you know, I mean, sometimes you can't have everybody in this little room. You can't do everything live. We don't have the ISO for everything. You know and sometimes uh, I mean I like solos live but sometimes you just can't work it out or the guy you want isn't available or you didn't know that you wanted a trombone solo until you cut the track then you're like hmm, what about a trombone solo right and then you gotta have the guy come in and do it you know I mean I mean, I like overdubbing and I I just like to keep the spirit of it you know and I don't mind comping a vocal or something to make it a little easier but I do like I mean I do like the idea that people can sing a whole track through without being tuned I mean if, and, you know, I mean, I kind of feel like I should be able to do that. But then I also recognize that electronic music is a whole new thing that's different than my world. And these guys are insanely talented and brilliant, but couldn't make a record my way at all. But I don't mean to diminish them in any way. In fact, they're brilliant. I can't do what they do at all. I get so bored in front of a drum machine, I just want to die. You know, it's just, I would love to be able to do a record like that. I just literally can't, you know, I, I, I can't do it. I can't program drums. I, bought, I remember buying an MPC back in the day when an MPC was, was the shit. And I, I hated it so much. It was so painstaking to, you know, programming these beats. And I, I just couldn't stand it. Right. It was just not for me. This is, I do the things not to be, I'm just trying to be myself and do what I like to do. And I think that's, you know, for you as a younger guy, you know, I think that you should do what I would say to anyone who's younger just be yourself and do whatever you like to do. Just do, if you like to make beats by chopping up things and doing it in Ableton, then do it. If you want to play in a band and make it all happen, do that. You know, I think there's room enough for everybody. I don't know how much money anybody makes anymore, but, uh, but I think you should just be yourself as much as possible. What was that thing in the, Did you ever read those notes of, uh, Theolonius Monk you ever see that page of notes that somebody wrote down all this things that Monk said I I know see? it exists I don't think I've read it yeah, in, yeah if you see that it comes, it comes around the internet from time to time you'll see it on your Facebook feed it'll come around one of the things it said was like the genius is the person most like himself right I thought it was incredible you know not that I'm a genius I'm not in any way shape or form but I try to be just do what I like to do be myself and make the records the way I want to. Life is short. You just want to try to be as, you know, genuine to yourself uh, as you can, you know, so that you enjoy the process of what you're doing. I mean, I like, I just like, you know, I like, it's like that following your bliss, you know, it's become a, sort of a battered down uh, trope at this point, this genius as Campbell was, but, uh, but he's right and it's right. It's just try to make the, make the records and the music that you like to do the things you like wear the clothes you want to wear and wear your hair the way you want to do it and and be yourself and uh, and then you know if you're lucky really good things will happen to you and and uh, at the very least you'll when you're working on whatever you're working you're enjoying it you know and making the world a better place because ultimately ultimately I think that's the thing about music. Is what we're, our job is to make the world a better place. We're supposed to make people, we're help people process their feelings. You know, help like they didn't know exactly how they feel sad or they feel, they feel confused or they feel excited or they feel angry or they feel whatever it is. But they can't. But then a song comes on, and that's exactly how they feel. Right. You know, and then they identify with it. You know. And uh, that that helps them. I mean, that's a great um, it's a great service, you know. And I think that's the way I see what we do. And I'm just trying to make the best music I can. To and if I help one person, you know, feel better, then then I. Geez, I, I often think of like, you know, just when I'm practicing my long tones, which I still have to do at my advanced age, just to stay, you know especially now with not so many gigs, you know, gotta keep my chops up. I just think I'm trying to make a tone. If I can make a tone that was so good, maybe I can make a play a, a concert D so clearly and so purely and so rocking and so good that I changed somebody's mind away from hatred or I, or I helped soothe somebody's pain out there and made them give meaning to their life. I mean, what an achievement that is. And that's the achievement that I, uh i aim for i used to be more you know concerned about my level or lack of (laughs) success i mean i've done all right but i but you know you know you have dreams when you're in high school and college or whatever or even even later you want things to be but then i just now more and more i just i'm just trying to concentrate on just being making the best tone i can and uh because that's how I originally started. I didn't think about succeeding when we were young. I didn't. We just thought about making music. Then it comes career and and money. And I mean, then you got to pay the bills, too. And you want more money. You know, you want to don't want your You don't want to raise your family like schlub. You know, you want to you, you want to provide. So these things become considerations and become stresses. Um, but I managed to maintain a meeting keel and live in a good neighborhood and, you know, I have a decent car an apartment and etc and now I just can get back actually in some ways now getting back to just the purity of of just playing the best tones I can play and record the best tracks I can which is not easy because people don't have a lot of the people I know and the scenes I know it's people don't have a lot of bread you know there's not a lot of bread to make music sometimes we make great records just be like oh god if we had another few grand we could have really made this perfect you know we could have done live strings and we could have you know but we don't have enough bread for it you know Um, so there's struggles like that but um, we do the best we can with what we have oh there's a record you should have you heard that Molly Ruth record that we did here I don't think I have actually dude you gotta listen to that record that's I think my favorite there's a track on there it's definitely my favorite track of recorded here Uh, it's called um, Only I Do That To Him it's, it sums up the sound that I'm trying to go at and she sings the shit out of it. Um, It's so good. Um, Tony Mason on drums, Jack Daly on bass. Uh, I'm on piano and, and pipe organ. Molly sings and plays acoustic and uh, uh, William Gallison is on harmonica. Go listen to that. That that one's like, like, if I had to croak, I, I I feel OK, because I made that.
0: I if understand. I had to croak tomorrow,
1: I would feel like I made that and that I did what I had to do. I mean, I want to do more and will do, but I just feel like I have no shame in my life if I've made things like that. You know, I, I have no shame in what I do. I have no regrets because. We made records like, like that's what we did, <laughs> you know, it's like. Even this year, like the thing we made with Aki, I'm very proud of this song. I mean, when you hear the song, Woke Up in America, I'll send it to you because it's not out. But you can't play it forever. You, anybody, it's not out. But uh, when I think about that record, you know, it's like the world is burning outside and, and, and we're trying to spread love and beauty and awareness and, um, you know, and we're not in for the money. There's no money. We're just right. getting by. And so we're making these arts for art's sake in a way, which is, I think, a beautiful... And noble thing. I'd like to say before we start some of these records, I'm like, I think it's an incredible act of courage. I'll say sometimes I'll stop. There's actually a film of me. There's a there's a YouTube of me giving the speech. Actually, it wasn't the original speech. They made me go back and try to say it again. But I sometimes I'll just stop and I'll say, you know, roughly, I'll be like, you know, I really appreciate everybody coming in here and making this record. And I think it's a it's a, a real great and beautiful act and an act of courage that you came in. And um, are making this record usually from your own pockets and with very little hope of making the money back or or maybe breaking even um, and come in and make them anyway and making records that will never be pop hits. I mean, you know, you know what I mean, like making a country record or, a, or alternative jazz record or you know whatever it happens to be. All the crazy things that we do here in Brooklyn, you know. And you're making this thing and putting all this effort and love and energy into this thing with no other reason because it's beautiful and you have to do it and it's who you are. And that's fucking awesome. <laughs> it's like the world is burning outside. People are like carrying guns and hating each other and all this stuff is happening. And someone's in here singing a song about a relationship or a romance or a, um, about the clouds. <laughs> or about, uh, I don't know. I did this, I did this record of these guys. Um, I recorded a lot of the tracks, they do all this mixing and editing. Um, this new psychedelic record, uh, I was I'm spacing, give me a second. Uh, Tree Speak is the band called Tree Speak, and um, I mean, this shit is bizarre. Out new psychedelia, Delia, Delia with uh, crazy sense, and had me play all this like squealing baritone it's all look warped and he's like these guys i mean they're actually selling their records sell out fast like their vinyl releases sell out right away they're incredible great packaging uh i uh, love this guy and the guys such he's a really talented uh, artist check them out um and uh he's he's got a whole concept to his thing a whole visual aesthetic and uh he, he's brilliant and um uh but still, this, this is not these people are not making records. This is not no one's going to be. Uh, they're not going to be playing the Super Bowl, Super Bowl halftime show with this music and they know it, you know, they're never going to have a. They're not going to have zillions of hits on YouTube with this stuff. You know what I mean? Right. And they make it anyway. How beautiful is that? I think I think it's pretty awesome act of courage and bravery, and beauty and nobility and I, I appreciate seeing them. I'm, I'm inspired by that. Um, and, um, and that's what keeps me going, you yeah.
0: know? Right. You know, I think that's the, that's the thing, right? There, there are a lot of people who make music and they, they do it, but they, you know, it it's not going to be a smash hit. They make it because of a sense of, Either obligation or duty or love or a combination of all those things to their art and their craft and you know it's a gorgeous feeling, beautiful.
1: Yeah, it's great. That's I mean, what's cooler than that? Right. And if you can make a few bucks and pay, you know, get yourself an old Subaru, then you're you're doing. I think, in my view, uh, uh, at least for me, I'm doing pretty good.
0: As musicians, engineers, and producers, especially independent ones at that, our industry is very volatile. We may love our music, we may think it's the best thing in the world, but without a lot of luck or a lot of hard work, it's not even possible for us to be famous or make millions of dollars. Now, I don't deny it. There is a possibility out there for a lot of people. I know some of my friends who've heard a bunch of music of mine that's left in my unfinished folder say, you should finish this stuff, man. This is going to be big. You're going to be big. This is going to be great stuff. This will be the next biggest thing. Your name will be on billboards. And who knows? Maybe they're right. But even if they are right, which I don't think they are. That's not why I'm making the music I make. I make music because I'm inspired to do it. And when I'm not inspired to make music, well, I try my best to find inspiration elsewhere where I might not have thought to seek it before. Craig actually said something that resonated with me quite a bit. There are some people who play in genres, myself included, with my own band sometimes, that won't be mainstream. Music won't be big because it's not what the populace likes. And yet we make it anyway. We make the music because we love it. And if that's what you're doing, then you are the noblest of all of us. Craig, thank you for being on. Thank you for the words of wisdom and the inspiration. I hope this pandemic ends soon and either you can come here to San Francisco or I can return back to New York and we can jam sometime. Matter of fact, I really want to bring my band to Brooklyn and Mighty Toad and do an EP sometime. i really love to track it on the studer with some two-inch tape and really get down to what it means to really make a record. Even so, with the digital age, there's something I think I'm going to be sending you in a little bit that I think you might like. For all of you guys who want to check out Craig Dreyer, Check out his newest album, A Fiend Indeed, by Craig Dreyer and Fiends on Spotify. He released it just this month. And go check out his studio, at Mighty Toad Recording Studio on Instagram, and Craig Dreyer NYC on Instagram as well. You'll be really happy you did. He posts some really cool stuff there. And you'll see his mic locker, his... Equipment in the live room, his beautiful Trident console, his Pro Tools rig, his studer tape machine, everything he's got he posts, and new gear day is especially fun. Makes me, frankly, quite jealous. Welcome to Blue Girl Gear Talk. I am really excited to talk about this piece of gear. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for the right time to talk about it, and now it's finally time to talk about it, and I'm super excited. Right now, I am using this piece of gear. It is the AKG C44 Lyra USB condenser microphone. Now, I know what you guys are thinking. USB microphone, D3, what the hell are you thinking? Well, just listen. And listen to the sound of my voice right now because, to my mind, this thing sounds pretty damn good. The Lyra is a really cool microphone, and to my mind, it's really stepped up the level of quality in USB microphone technology. It has multiple polar patterns, it sounds phenomenal, and its accessories are outstanding. In fact, it comes with a solid aluminum desktop stand that If I could have used on my desk, I would have because, frankly, it is excellent. Now, I have a little bit too low of a desk to have used this, and I didn't really want to crouch over my desk today, so I opted to put the mic on a regular straight stand. However, if I had the option to do it, I would use this stand in a heartbeat. And where I've kept this microphone, which is on my school desk, I've kept it on this stand, and it is fabulous. Now, the greatest thing for me is when I started finally using it with a DAW, and Pro Tools recognized it right away. I didn't have to install a driver. I didn't really have to do anything. I just turned off my main interfaces and plugged this in, and it auto-recognized it. I even went into my audio playback engine setup window, and. It had already auto-selected it. But that's not the coolest thing for me. Really, the coolest thing for me is that, aside from the fact that it has a USB output, this thing really doesn't feel like a USB mic to me. A lot of the features and functionality really, really feel like any other conventional XLR microphone. So much so that when I first took a look at it, when I received it, I was a little bit confused and thought they may have sent me the wrong thing until I saw the bottom. Now, this mic sounds excellent, and it's no surprise either. AKG have really tried hard to break the mold of the voiceover-only style of USB microphone, maybe like the blue snowball we thought of 10 years ago. This mic, they say you could use for your next podcast interview, your next Spotify single, or just having better audio quality on your Zoom meeting. Now, the funniest thing is this interview that I did with Craig Dreyer was recorded over Zoom, so I suppose I've kind of started doing all three. And I think that was a hint to what I'm about to do. But first, let's get into the rest of the package. The K300 headphones. Mm. These headphones are excellent. Now, I'm not wearing them right now, mainly because I've left them up at my school desk where I've been using them every day since I got them. They're excellent. They have basically replaced my beloved Audio-Technica ATH-M20Xs that I had been using at my desk to go to my Zoom meetings, go to my school sessions, listen to music, do references, and any other small things that I do away from the studio. Put it this way, when I had an album to edit, and I really didn't need my whole studio rig to edit this album, I sat on these headphones and edited the album on my studio laptop at my school desk with my client on Zoom. It was very, very excellent and very easy. I didn't feel like I was missing anything because I was just on these headphones. In fact, these headphones are really cool. The ear cups feel phenomenal the padding is really comfortable. It's like a cloud. There are times where I feel like I'm not even wearing headphones when I'm wearing these things. And that's really big because I wear glasses and almost always you will feel your headphones pressing up against your glasses. Additionally, these set of headphones come with three different cables. A straight short cable, a straight long cable, and a coiled cable. Now, all of them have threaded 35 millimeter connectors. The headphones come with a single threaded 3.5mm to 635 millimeter adapter to plug into your studio gear. And the greatest thing for me is that it has a locking XLR connector on the headphones to put the cable into the headphone's ear cup. Now, this Mini XLR is genius for me because most headphones that I have used with locking connectors that go into the ear cup like this usually have some kind of weird convoluted semi-bespoke locking system that go to them, usually with a 3.5mm connector on the headphone and on the cable. I think back to the first pair of headphones that I used in the studio, which is a pair of Fostex headphones. And they sound excellent, and they feel excellent, and they're really, really well built. But I can't think of how many friends of mine who use Fostex headphones in the studio telling me that they've replaced their cables for the umpteenth time because the very flimsy plastic locking mechanism on them broke. With these headphones, you don't really have to worry about that. In fact, a lot of the body of the connector on this mini XLR cable is metal, and I don't feel super bad tugging on the cable. Not that I would recommend you tug on the cable that often, but if there's a sudden jerk, I don't feel scared that I've pulled any wires loose. Additionally, these headphones are fabulous to adjust. The adjusters are very, very tight, and they work really well. Now, I can't tell what my favorite adjustment is yet, whether I like the AKG more, or the style on Fostex, or even Audio-Technica headphones. But I do like the clicking that comes on these AKG headphones, because. Man, have they really done well with them. Additionally, they fold up. The headphones fold up. Did I mention they fold up? The headphones fold up. They fold up and they have their own carrying bag. So if you want to move around with these headphones and you're a little bit worried about carrying them on their own, they have a marvelous carrying bag. You don't have to worry about these headphones, they're sturdy and mixed with this bag, they're safe. Now, what I've been doing lately, because I keep multiple computers up at my school desk, because it's kind of an all-around desk for me, outside of my studio desk, is I've been keeping the short cable on my main computer, which I do all my school on, listen to music, etc., etc. I keep the long cable on my studio laptop, so I can stand up and pace while I... Reference mixes. And then I keep the third cable, the coily one, handy for when I need to plug into other different accessories or mobile devices. I use it with my phone, or if I need to pick up a tablet, I'll use it with that too. These headphones are excellent and super duper comfortable if you haven't figured it out already. Additionally, They come with a license to the newest version of Ableton Live Lite, which is something that I'm super intrigued by. If you don't have a DAW and you pick up this whole system, you have a fully-fledged recording studio in a very compact package. Now, I want to put this to the test because I am an utter noob in Ableton Live. And I love this microphone and these headphones already. So I'm going to make an announcement here and now. Next episode, you will hear a track from me. Maybe with a special guest. I will leave that up to next time we speak together. I am going to produce this track, record it, mix it, all in Ableton Live Lite. I'm going to do all of the tracking that is not virtual instruments with the Lyra, and I'm going to mix it on the K300 headphones. Now, here's the thing. I don't know yet if I want to do live drums or not. This mic is capable of doing stereo, and I know how to do good one and two mic setups on drums, but I don't know if I want to do them here. So I'm gonna leave this up to you guys. Shout me out on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, D3official on Instagram, the D3 official, and Twitter, the D three on Facebook. Hit us on Instagram at Bluegirl Productions SF and at ready to record on Instagram and Twitter. Send us an email, bluegirlproductionssf at gmail.com. I want to know, should I try live drums? Should I try live drums and augment them with electronic drums? Or should I just go all electronic? How much live instrumentation should I use? I am leaving this up to your guys' imagination. Mind you, this is going to be a very, very simple song. It will probably be kind of short, but... I'm excited to do it, and I think you guys will be interested to hear what happens with this mic, those headphones, and that piece of software. So stay tuned for that, and I hope you enjoy the little project that I'm doing. Wish me luck!
1: Ain't going to say as a taxi cab When your love is leaving A row of red lights Turn to green Inside your heart is grieving From the window You see all the threads Of your life on weaving Ain't nothing to say That's a taxi cab
0: This is music from Blue Girl, and since Craig Dreyer was on the show today, I really want to share this piece of music that we recorded a long, long time ago at his studio, Mighty Toad, in Brooklyn. This was recorded in 2014, December of 2014, at Mighty Toad, and uh, it features some pretty cool guests on it. On percussion was Gordon Nappy G. Clay, who we talked to in episode 3. On drums is Tommy Kalen, who was in Dreamspeak with Gordon and my father, actually. And a band called The Hatters, which he was the bandmate of Billy J. Stein, who I talked to in episode four, and Tree Adams, known then as Adam Hirsch, who I talked to in episode five. Of course, on saxophone is the one and only Craig Dreyer and I filled in the rest on various keyboard instruments, and I think a little bit of guitar, if memory serves. Now, this is a interesting track. I started it with these guys in New York in December of 2014 at Craig's Studio Mighty Toad in Brooklyn, and for years, I would open it, work on it a little bit, and then sit on it. And recently, I got it back out, and I called up Tree Adams, and I said, Hey, Tree, I have this track with these guys on it. Think you might want to sing on it? Now, I don't have his vocal yet. He's been very busy working on a lot of different things, which I doubt I need to mention. Tree Adams is one of the most crazy producers out there and one of the most crazy TV composers out there, too. Likewise, he actually produced one of Craig's albums, What Are Fiends For?, which I think we actually talked about earlier in our conversation. Now, this track is really cool, and it's going to keep getting cooler. So here, for now, for you, is the current version and where it stands of this beautiful cover of the traffic song Low Spark for High Heeled Boys, initially recorded in 2014 at Mighty Toad Studios in Brooklyn, New York, with Craig Dreyer. Tommy Kalen and Gordon Clay. Enjoy That's the show, everyone. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed talking to all of you. Special major big thank you to Mr. Craig Dryer for coming on the podcast. Craigity, man, it was great catching up with you. I hope we get to catch up more soon. And check your inbox for an email from me. I, I have some things I want to share with you, and I think there's something that's in the works that I just started recently that you might be interested in playing on. I don't know yet. We'll see how it turns out, but I have high hopes for it. For all you listening... Go check out Craigie D.'s new album, A Fiend Indeed. It's out on Spotify right now. Go listen to it. It is excellent. But more importantly to me personally, go and buy his CD, What Are Fiends For?, produced by fellow ready-to-record guest, Tree Adams. It is an excellent album. As a matter of fact, it influenced a lot of how I play today, even still, and I grew up with it, and it is just, it's just fabulous. Just go buy it. Tune in next time. We're going to have Scott Wildman and Peter Munchers on the show. We're going to talk about everything from their time in animation, their time being in recording school together, everything about their careers. It's going to be a really conversational interview. It is really cool. They have a lot of cool stories and some interesting insights for you guys. So stay tuned for that. As always, there's going to be more gear to geek out on and more music to share with all of you. And be excited because I am for this project that i've taken on with the podcaster pack and recording a song with it so stay tuned for that next time but of course for now this is daniel the d3 cohen signing out from blue girl productions worldwide headquarters and studios in beautiful san francisco california we're ready to record. Hey guys D3 here one last little thing before we head out keep your calendars open and make sure you have some time and drop in 7pm on February 25th for MC Infinite's album release party on Twitch it's his debut album named Critical Minded out Feb 22nd on his website mcinfinite.com that is E-M-C-E-E I-N-F-I-T-E dot com and it's an excellent album. I've been listening to it evolve for the last couple of weeks. He's been working on it for six years, and it's just a gorgeous piece of work. And I'm so excited for you guys to hear it. He's more excited than I am. And it's just incredible piece of work. I had the extreme pleasure of playing on it and doing some additional production, as well as editing half of it for his mixer to... Receive. It's a great album. It is super phenomenal. All the production is really tight and I think you're gonna love it as much as we do. So please come hang out with us. 7 p.m. on February 25th. The link for the Twitch stream will be in the description of the podcast. Just hit description button on Megaphone or anywhere you are listening right now and click that link 7 PM February 25th. Don't miss it. All right. For right now, though, this is Daniel the D3 Cohen once again signing out from Blue Girl Productions Worldwide Headquarters and Studios in San Francisco, California.